Thank you so much. May be seated and good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you. We welcome everyone that's joining us online on this beautiful, beautiful day. And uh, even on a birthday, as many as I've had, it's a beautiful day. And I did raise up uh, thanking the Lord for a new day. And for this birthday, my brother, God bless him, interrupted it though right off the bat. I heard my phone vibrate. 5.36 a.m. <laughs> 5.36 a.m. I remember. <laughs> and I looked over there. It was a text from him. Had one of these emojis on there. I think it came from the, the sitcom Friends, you know, where one of them is just like, like this. And then it says, you're old. <laughs> so, in Christian love, I texted him right back. Yes, I am. But I'm three years younger than you. <laughs> so he's pastoring this morning. So I thought I'd mess with his mind a little bit as well, as he did mine. Well, we are so thankful for the Lord and all the praise to Jesus, right? And I think so often on Sundays, especially on Sundays, all the praise that is rising to Jesus around the globe. Can you imagine the untold millions upon millions and millions of people lifting up the name of Jesus, giving him praise all around the globe? And that is the desire of our hearts as a church. And when it comes to global missions, that's the reason that uh, we do set aside uh, two Sundays, a full week every year, to encourage us about the incredible privilege we have of sending light and truth to the nations of the earth, that all the peoples of the earth might rejoice in him. And so we are thankful for this week. I hope that you will mark it on your calendars our theme is Open Doors, and I want us in this uh, conference that will begin next week to be reminded of three open doors. The Bible says that Jesus told the church of Philadelphia, found in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. I am the one who opens and no one shuts, and I shut and no one can open. I love that. I've set before you an open door. And friends, we have an open door around the world. We have an open door around our community. And each one of us, every day, where we live, work, and play, we have an open door around us. And that's how I want our conference to be focused, looking forward to having... Two speakers each Sunday that remind us of the open doors around the world. Next Sunday from Jamaica, faithful pastor Devin Linton, his wife Patricia. Man, God is greatly using in the Caribbean. We look forward to continued and growing partnership with him. You will be blessed by him. The next Sunday as we have... The Caudills that are with us, Andrew and Taylor, he's executive director of Live Global, and you will hear from him the amazing ways that God is opening doors around the world and how we can participate in that. On the Wednesday night of the conference, as we have Awana, we'll meet over here in the hub for students and adults as our student ministry leads that, but we will be hearing from two of our own, Greg and Suzanne Pitts who are long-term partners in global ministry. God has them here now, and they will remind us of the open doors around our community. And you'll be astounded to hear about that. But then the, the banquet, two weeks from tonight, uh, will be about open doors around us. I don't know when there's been greater open doors for people who love Jesus to share his love than now. And we don't want anything to rob us of that true freedom that we have. 
Now, I encourage you to be a part of it. Uh, encourage you to give. We will be having a special offering. It's called the Open Initiative Offering. This has to do with uh, Gary and Marty Crawford, two of our own, who are leading this ministry, along with uh, Devin Linton, who will be a speaker here, and others in the Caribbean. People are moving there from all around the world. And there's incredible opportunity that God's given us, and we're already building that relationship and hope that we'll be able to expand it. And so the open initiative offering, and we're praying that the Lord allow us, by God's grace, over the coming weeks to give at least $20,000 to this wonderful initiative you'll be hearing about. You've already heard about the men's breakfast and the reminder about bacon, okay? Uh, one of our owns here at our church plant, Emmanuel Church, and he'll be sharing with us this coming Saturday, men. And that's Jeff Sanders. Thankful for Jeff and Julie, 10 years on staff here. And then now they are just serving in amazing ways and especially looking forward to hearing about the opportunities in Syria and Turkey. And brothers and sisters, we need to pray amazing, terrible, awful things that have happened, but God is using brothers and sisters in that region, and we want to know how we can pray and be a part of that, and Jeff will be sharing about that to our men on Saturday morning, and then the great uh, global banquet. So I'm just encouraging you uh, with our time we had in COVID. We had a few years when we had to greatly uh, reduce what we could do in some ways as far as our gatherings and then the missions, but the door is wide open. <laughs> it all comes down to are the doors of our hearts wide open, <laughs> right? And only the Holy Spirit can open those doors. And I'm praying he will do that this morning because we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. If you'll turn there, Matthew read from that passage about the life of the Spirit in our hearts and how he opens our hearts' doors. And let's pray and ask him to do that right now, would you? Lord, Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we worship you. Bless his Holy Spirit. We ask now that you will help us. We need you. Pry open our hearts' doors. Pry open our eyes to see Jesus and his glory. Open up every closed place, every dark place. And Lord, fill us with the sunshine of your love. Thank you for the work of your spirit. Thank you that what we share this morning is not our words, but your words, inspired by your spirit. And now, Lord, remind us, you brought us here by divine appointment. We are not here by accident. We're not watching or listening by accident. You have ordained this moment. Now, spirit, we pray May we truly hear from you. May we know your power in our lives. For the glory of Jesus, we ask in his name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Romans 8, we're making our journey through there. It's been called the Mount Everest of Scripture. <laughs> Mount Everest of Scripture. I think that's an apt description, if you're familiar with the Bible, of this incredible chapter. All the Bible is majestic. It's all God's Word. But I think that if you're aware of this chapter, and we're already making our way through it, it is, it is an incredible summit, isn't it? But I want to remind us a little bit as we get into this of the, the climb up from the valley. Because I don't think that we can really appreciate what the Lord is saying here as we go up this summit of Romans chapter 8, if we're not reminded of what we have seen as Paul has shared with us in this letter, 
about the valley and about the light the Lord has brought and our journey in him. So if I were outlining this book, so far I would outline it this way. Been thinking about it. First of all, my first point would be, as I thought about Romans, I would call it this, what a mess. What a mess. And that's chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 20. What a mess sin has made of everything. What a mess our sin has made of everything. What a mess. Indescribable, awful, bottomless mess of humanity and in our own lives. But into that mess has come this. What a message. (laughs) What a message. That's chapter 3, verse 21, through chapter 4, verse 25. What's the message? That in our darkness, light has shined. In our death, the Lord of life has come. In our sin, the Savior has conquered In our death, he's brought life. And there is now, for us who are not right with God, there is a righteousness from God, freely given to us as a gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all who believe in him are declared righteous, not guilty before him. This is the good news. What a message, right? What a message. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not just words. Why? Because what a miracle. What a miracle. Chapters 5 through 8. Paul shares with us these words I'm sharing with you. The gospel, the good news. It is the power of God to salvation. And salvation's a miracle. It's a miracle of a new security in chapter 5. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in this grace. We have a new security. We have a new identity. We were in Adam in our sin. Now we're in Christ. We have been raised to new life. That's who we are. A new identity. We have a new authority. We have an authority that comes into our life through this life in Christ. We're not under the law. We struggle with our own sin. But there's a new authority in our life. That's the authority of God's presence and power. And then chapter 8 comes this new liberty. This new liberty. Paul answers his own cry. Chapter 7, verse 24. Do you remember Paul's cry? Can you identify with it? Oh, what wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? The things that I don't want to do, I do. The things I shouldn't do, I do those. The things I ought to do, I don't do. Who will deliver me from this? And the answer to his own cry is verse 1. I thank God through Jesus Christ there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't you thank God for that? Now he talks about this life, this new life. What is it that Jesus declared? Behold, I make all things new. And one day that's going to happen. He's going to make it all new. But what does the Bible say? If anyone is in Christ already, he or she is what? A new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. The Christian life really, I've come to believe, is growing in understanding how new it is. Does it ever get old? (laughs) No. It's continually new. Because it's A new life in the spirit. A spirit of freedom. Free from the condemnation of the law. Free in Christ who fulfilled the law for us. 
who lived the life we could not live, died the death that we deserved to die, rose again victorious over sin, death, the devil, over hell. All of that is ours. We are a free people. <laughs> we have the spirit of freedom. What did Jesus say? If the Son shall make you free, you are what? Free indeed. And all of that happens, that freedom, that spirit of freedom happens in a family. The spirit of family. The spirit of God is the spirit of family. And that's what I want to share with you about this morning. The Lord for the, shares with us here for the first time through Paul that we are members of God's family. All that he has said so far about the gospel is true. It's wonderful. But now he wants us to understand that when we came to Jesus, we came into a family. We did not come as solitary, isolated saints. And saints we ain't, right? <laughs> But we are believers in Jesus and we, by the Spirit, have a family of everyone else who believes in Jesus. And so the Lord shares with us an understanding that we have this Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of family. Now let's read about this, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons, are the children of God. God has children. <laughs> he has kids. And he has no grandchildren. <laughs> we are his children. And if we are his children by faith, then we are part of his family, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now, I think about that. And I think, what a privilege. <laughs> to be a part of God's family. But also I think what a responsibility. When we bear the name of our Heavenly Father, when we belong to Him, He says, you're mine, you're in my family. What a responsibility that has. I know growing up in our small town, I was so thankful to be my father's son. And if someone asked me, Son, who's your daddy? I was glad to tell them. But I also, in that small town, felt that weight upon me. Because there's a few times, can you imagine I did not do what I should be doing? And someone asked me, who's your daddy? <laughs> Same question. <laughs> Little different feeling, you know what I mean? Now I want us to consider both today. The privilege and the responsibility of being the children of God. Here's how we'll do it. First of all, the Spirit's path for God's children. He has a path for His children. He talks about being led by the Spirit. God's children. Now I want us to understand something. Not everyone is one of God's children. The idea of the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of all mankind is not true. Now there is a sense in which all of us are image bearers of God and there is a sense in which God is the father of all creation. But when it comes to the spiritual sense, the relational sense, God is not the father of all. He is the father of all who have been born into his family 
through the new birth. What did Jesus say? You must be born again. And he said that to the most religious man in Israel at the day, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter this kingdom of God. So as he talks about a path, this is a path for God's children. And on this path, as you listen to what Paul says, you're going to see there are three guideposts. There are three words. I want you to see three words. There are guideposts as we walk this path as God's children. First word is debt. The second word is determination. And the third word is direction. Those are the signposts on the pathway of God's children guided by his spirit. The first word is debt. We are indebted to our deliverance. We are indebted to our deliverance. Listen to verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, that is that old power of sin that does still remain in us, but we are debtors not to live according to the flesh. We are debtors to live, and he answers it by inference, to the Spirit. This Spirit that's given you life. Because you're no longer dead. You are alive. Now the word debtor here means this. It means under obligation. And remember how Paul used it back in chapter 1 verse 16? He said, I am a debtor to the Jews and to the Gentiles. I am a debtor to the barbarians and to the wise. I am a debtor because I owe all people what? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we a debtor to everyone? Because we are indebted to God and his grace. And we have received the gospel. Therefore, we have an obligation to share that gospel. But here is the second time Paul uses that word obligation. And he says and means this. We have an obligation to godliness. An obligation to godliness. He says we have an obligation but it's not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Our obligation is not to ungodliness. Our obligation is to godliness. Amen. You know, the strangest thing in the world is somehow people have the idea, and we struggle with it, don't we, that godliness is not joyful or happy. I mean, it's almost be godly if you have to. And that goes back really to our old nature. It goes back to that old lie of Satan to Adam and Eve. God's holding out on you. But the reality, we only have true life as we experience that life in God. We are his image bearers. We are to be his sons and daughters through faith in Jesus. And real living is living a life that honors our Heavenly Father, our God. That's real life. Ungodliness is sin. And what does sin produce? Sin does not produce joy. Sin does not produce freedom. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. What's the Bible say? It is lust that produces sin. And sin produces death. Lust, sin, death. L-S-D. A bad trip. It's a bad trip. Wrong desires. Dominating us lead to sin. And that sin doesn't bring freedom. It brings death. First signpost is debt. Indebted to our deliverance. We've been delivered. Therefore, we are to live in freedom. The second word, second guidepost is determination. 
If we recognize how deadly sin is, then we have to have a deadly determination about sin. We have to get serious about it. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. We have a guidance from our Heavenly Father to have a determination about dealing with sin the only way that sin can be dealt with and that is by the spirit to put it to death I remember many years ago on Christmas day Susan called her brother and his family that live in Jakarta Indonesia 12 hours different but she called had him and his family on the speakerphone. Our kids were there <clears throat> and we were laughing and talking to each other and there's all kinds of greetings going on. It was wonderful. And then we heard on the phone coming all the way from Jakarta the awfulest commotion, screaming and hollering. And Susan immediately, and me as well, What's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? And there was this terrible sound and got, they were screaming. And then her brother came back and said, everything's fine. Sorry. Said a couple of the girls were out in the carport and they were uh, taking some things out of a, the washer and a cobra fell out from the washer. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas, right? And saw all this screaming as they were aware of this cobra and they attacked it and they, they killed it. Now I, I thought about that this week. Here was this family celebration going on. We're all celebrating as a family. But when we recognize, they recognize that deadly cobra, there was a deadly determination. It wasn't like how cute. Look what Santa Claus left us. Oh, no. No, no, no. Deadly determination because they saw the danger for what it was. God's family. Yes, as we celebrate. And haven't we celebrated here today? And aren't we celebrating? But we also need to have in our celebration of Jesus a deadly determination towards sin. And I'm not just talking about sin out there in the world. What we need to be determined about is the sin in us. In us. What is the only thing we can do? This is a death struggle. You must kill sin or sin will destroy you. You say, well, I didn't know that that was part of being a Christian. Well, what did Jesus say? If you want to be my disciple, do what? Take up your cross and follow me. What was Jesus talking about? He wasn't talking about jewelry. The cross meant one thing in his day. It meant death, hideous death, awful death. I just read an article not too long ago of the ten most painful deaths in all history. Number one at the top was considered crucifixion. Jesus said, take up my cross. And then he said, take up your cross. What's he talking about? To follow me means you must die to yourself. Amen. Determine to die to yourself and Follow me. And it's death to sin. By the power of the Spirit. He says we must act. Yes we, 
we come to church and we worship and we enjoy our fellowship. But friends, we cannot be passive when it comes to sin. As much as we long to be like Jesus, we all struggle and we fail sometimes. But we can't give up this fight, right? We must act. The path for God's children is marked by these words. Debt, determination, indebted to our deliverance, deadly determination about sin, and then there's direction. To be divinely directed by the Spirit. Verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons, the children of God. Now notice that word led. Led by the Spirit. It doesn't say all who are coerced by the Spirit. It doesn't say all who are pushed. But all who are led. And this is so wonderful. You know what the word led here means? You know what the image is? It is the image of a parent taking their child's hand and leading them. All who are being Led by the Spirit, not coerced by the Spirit, not hindered by the Spirit, but being led by the Spirit. They are God's children. A few years ago, I'd like to say a few years ago at my 40th birthday party, that wouldn't be true. I'd like to say a few years ago at my 50th birthday party. That wouldn't be true. And I can barely say this, but it is true. A few years ago at my 60th birthday party. Some folks, my family, wanted to have a party for me. So I was picked up at my house by Ben and Ruth, son-in-law, my daughter Ruth. I was put in their car and I was blindfolded. Blindfolded. Yes, your pastor was blindfolded. <laughs> and I was driven around West Knoxville blindfolded. This looks like some kind of mafia show going on. And I was trying in my mind. I thought I knew West Knoxville. Turn, 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 turn. And I, and I was pretty close. But then, you know what that rascal my son-in-law did? He pulled into some big parking lot and went around and around and around and around. <laughs> <laughs> and then they got me wherever they were taking me. And I'm still blindfolded. They, oh, Dad, we're here. And Ben and Ruth took me by the hand and led me in. And I'm walking like this, you know. <laughs> and they said, now you can take the blindfold off. I thought, where in the world am I? You know where I was? I was standing right over here in the Hub Student Center. Okay. <laughs> they, they had driven me all around. Hadn't gone anywhere. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I was so confused, I couldn't see. I was grateful in my darkness to have those two hands guiding me. Right? Friend, listen. This is a dark world. It's dark on the outside. It's dark on the inside. We need someone to take our hand and lead us. And thank God that someone is the blessed Holy Spirit who will lead his children along. Aren't you thankful? I'm thankful also. I've pulled back some from God's hand, haven't you? But aren't you thankful? He doesn't let go. He doesn't let go. I want to ask you this morning, as you think about God's Spirit leading His children, are you relying on that? Are you wanting that leadership or are you resisting it? Are you excited to see where God may lead you by Spirit or are you afraid? He might lead you somewhere other than you've already decided you're going. Listen to verse 14 again. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Who are the children of God? Those who are led by the Spirit. So I want to ask you, are you a person who is led by the Spirit? Because only Christians are led by the Spirit. This week I read three questions to evaluate that by a great Bible teacher who's now with the Lord. His name is James Boyce, pastored a tremendous church, Presbyterian church in Philadelphia. He said, here's three questions to ask yourself about whether you are truly a child of God. Number one, is God real to you? Is God real to you? Do you talk to him? Do you talk about him? During your life, do you focus on at least some concern? What might he want? For Christians, God's real. Is God real to you? Secondly, here's a question Dr. Boyce said to ask. Is the Bible a meaningful book to you? Is the Bible a meaningful book to you? If you are a child of God and God, your Father, has written a book by His Holy Spirit that's about your Savior Jesus, do you ever read it? Do you love to read it? Is the Bible a meaningful book to you? To say we know the God of the Bible, the Spirit of the Bible, the Savior of the Bible, but we have no interest in the Bible, something is desperately wrong. Now, I'm not talking about understanding all the Bible. But I'm talking about a desire for the Bible. Is the Bible a meaningful book to you? And friend, if the honest answer is no, before you start pledging to start reading the Bible, I want you to ask the deeper question. Why is it not meaningful to me? Number three question. Are you drawn to other Christians? Are you drawn to other Christians? Have many friends wonderful. Never be an isolationist. Christians, we're not to be isolationist. The Bible says Jesus told us that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. The Lord does not want us to retreat behind our holy huddles. Uh, to let the drawbridge of our church go up and throw a gospel track over every once in a while or stay in our car and drive into our garage and let that gate go down and be isolated that's not the way but do you desire fellowship with other Christians do you desire to meet with Christians be with Christians uh, someone who says, I'm part of the family of God, but doesn't get excited about meeting other members of the family, something's wrong. I mean, I know your family reunion may be like that, <laughs> but that's not the family of God. Is God real to you? Is the Bible a meaningful book to you? Are you desirous of being with other Christians? Those are three very insightful questions. Very diagnostic question. Does that describe your path? Walking along this pathway of life in the Spirit, we also receive something else. We receive not just guide, guidance, but we receive promptings through the Spirit. Promptings through the Spirit. Verse five, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, as children, by whom we are crying, Abba, Father. Here's the source of our blessed assurance that we sang about this morning. That great hymn. I love one of the phrases in that hymn. It talks about this blessed assurance that comes from echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Whispers of love. Whispers of confirmation from God. My friend, listen. God's spirit inside of us does not cause us to cry out as slaves in fear. But if we have the Spirit of God within us, we don't cry out as slaves in fear. We call out to God as our Father. As our Father. God's Spirit prompts us to two wonderful responses from two wonderful words. What are the two wonderful responses? Two wonderful words. Mark these, please. The first word is this. Adoption. Adoption. Do you see that word? The Spirit prompts us to accept our infinite position. The word adoption here is about position. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption as sons. Now, the word adoption here is a very interesting word. If the word is weothasius, weothasius, and it means literally this, to place as a son. Weos, meaning a son. To place as a son, and it refers to position and privilege. Position and privilege. An adopted child could lay claim to a special position. In Roman times, a man having a number of children could determine that one of his servants even would be the heir of the family and he would place him as a son. The son, the heir. It's a position in the family, not of a physical relationship, but it's a special calling, a chosen calling. The truth of adoption by God is one of our greatest securities. Because it means a chosen love. We didn't earn it. We didn't become... By our own ability, children of God. We, we did not manufacture this. It's, it's, it's not just sentimental. It's, it's God's volition. It's God's will. God has chosen us and placed us to be his children. So powerful. Susan and I, as many of you know, we have three children. Each one of these children we have we adopted. And I want to say this morning that I thank God and give great thanks regularly for those three birth mothers that chose life and for those who assisted them in that decision. Susan and I were married for 10 years. Over 10 years, we were unable to have children. And so we began to consider adoption. And I want you to know, I was very hesitant. Very hesitant. And the reason, I can tell you now, and I remember exactly where I was with Susan when she was so frustrated, why I was so hesitant. Here is why I was hesitant. Because of this, I had had such an attachment to my mom and dad. I had such a deep love in my heart for my mom and dad. And I was especially so close to my father that I was afraid. I could not give that 
to an adopted child that I would not bond. She thanked me for helping her understand that and we prayed to continue to pray. And then one day we were contacted about a, a woman who had been on her way to have an abortion and she was counseled by some ladies to care for that unborn child and they would walk with her and then to consider adoption. And we were contacted because one of those ladies was a member of this church. And so we said, yes. Susan said, yes. I said, yes. We went to UT Hospital that day, got the phone call. It was on election day. Susan was so mad, I made her vote. I said, you got to vote. You got to. It's got to. You can't, can't skip that. Got to get your priorities right here, okay? Adoption, voting. You got to vote first. <laughs> we got the hospital. They brought Ruth to us. And Susan, I can still remember it, looked like she swallowed the sun. She was luminous, just luminous. And I'm standing there looking at that little baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh uh-huh, yeah, precious. Deer in the headlights. Deer in the headlights. And then we're driving home. You gotta understand, this is like phone call. We're driving home, and I look back in the back, and it hits me. I look back there, there's a baby back there. (laughs) What is this, drive through? We just. There's a baby back there. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, within a few days, I was crazy in love with that little girl. Crazy. And I remember a moment when Ruth was about 18 months old. I pulled into the garage. Susan opened the kitchen door, and there was little Ruth, and she had that little binky in her mouth. And through that binky, she said, Dada, Dada, Dada. And right then, I was a goner forever. Wallet came out, credit cards came out, (laughs) everything. Done. Totally done. Now, you know what was so special about that moment? Yes, what I felt, it was unspeakable. But more is what Ruth knew. I was her dada. Spirit of adoption. First word, adoption. Second word is Abba. Abba. The spirit... Reveals to us our infinite position. We are the children of God. But then the Spirit prompts us to express our intimate petition. What? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, verse 15, to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is so astounding. This is so humbling. Why? This is Jesus' name for his Father. Never before Jesus had anyone ever called the God of heaven and earth Abba. It's Aramaic word. It means Daddy. No one had ever referred to God as Father, but Jesus always referred to him as Abba, except for one time. And when he was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there, in that moment, he was the sin bearer. But Jesus said this, 
He called Father God, Abba, and then he says what? You call him Abba too. Someone as well said, and you think about it carefully, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the word Father. Abba. The God of the Old Testament is your daddy through Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant. It's so comforting. You approach Almighty God as dear daddy. And I know for some of you here, listen, I understand for you, the idea of God as daddy is something that's foreign to your experience growing up. And I truly am sorry for that. But here's what you have to press through whether your experience with an earthly father was wonderful or awful or non-existent, everything that daddy means, that's what almighty God is to everyone who believes in Jesus. Amen. He's your daddy. Call out to him. Abba, Father, he will respond. The Spirit's persuasion comes on us that we are God's children. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is the witness of the Spirit. This is not just emotion only. It can be and sometimes is emotional, but it's deeper. It's a confirmation. Confirmation in our hearts that we are God's children. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Many times this happens as we're worshiping Him. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. As we're reading the Word of God, the Spirit that wrote this Word bears witness with your spirit. Many times when you're in prayer and you are calling out to God and His Spirit bears witness with your spirit. And many times it's in hardship and trial when we do have those sufferings that we have such a peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds when we're so weak, so confused, and we're so afraid. There's such a peace that is the spirit bearing witness with your spirit. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know we don't experience this all the time, but do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what it means to know that God has saved you and His Spirit bears witness that you are His child? Do you know that as you confess your sins, which are many, the Spirit bears witness with you? You say, well, I have doubts. I don't know. I don't always feel that way. It's, it's beyond feeling. You say, well, what do I do if I don't have that confirmation? Friend, read the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Determine you will believe. Pray to God as if He actually exists. Amen. Talk to Jesus like He's there and ask Him to give to you a confirmation that you are a child of God. No one can talk you into that, but I'm telling you, my friend, God can reveal His salvation to you, and then no one can talk you out of it. Believe, trust, then rejoice. Rejoice in what? The portion that is yours. Verse 17. Here's the Spirit's portion to all of God's children. If children, if we're children, then heirs. <laughs> and if we're heirs, we're heirs of God. And if we're heirs of God, then we're fellow heirs with Christ. Can you just see Paul getting carried away with this? Uh, we, we, we get the indication at the end when we get there that he is, he's, actually, he's actually speaking this and the scribe, Tertius, is writing this down. And can you just kind of see Paul? He's just walking. If, well, if we're children, we're heirs. And if we're heirs, 
we're heirs with God. And if, if we're heirs with God, we're, we're joint heirs with Jesus. Don't tertius. Can you imagine? We have this inheritance. An heir is someone who has an inheritance. What is our inheritance? It's to share, first of all, in Jesus. You understand this? It's, it's not what you get because of Jesus. Jesus is the inheritance. Amen. He is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price. We're like the Levites and priests in the Old Testament who got no portion of the promised land. Why? Because God said, I am your portion. I am your portion. I am your lot. I will care for you. And my friend, that's who we are as believers. Whom have we in heaven but you? There's none on earth we desire besides you. God is our portion. My friend, if we just had this Jesus now, we would be of all people unfathomably rich. But to have Jesus now and share with Jesus forever, my word. What did Jesus say? Fear not, little flock. Fear not. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's your net worth? I'll tell you what your net worth is. Don't ever forget it. Don't download a calculator. Can't tell you. Don't look at your 401k or your Roth or annuity. I'll tell you what your net worth is. This is your net worth. What you have that money can't buy and death can't take away. That's your net worth. Amen. What you have that money can't buy and death cannot take away. And friend, every Christian has a net worth that is unbelievable. And it's freely given. And that inheritance is in the Son. It's in Jesus. All this is in Jesus. There is a teaching out there today that you know, yes, you've got to get Jesus, but then you've got to get more, and you get, you get into the Spirit, and you'll get more. My friend, forget that. Everything is in Jesus. Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit in my name. When you receive Jesus, you receive all. The Holy Spirit comes to guide and interpret. The Holy Spirit comes to help you. But my friend, he just helps you walk out this treasure you have in Jesus. Many years ago, there was a wealthy man. Had a beloved wife. His wife died after giving birth to their only son, only child. And this little boy was the light of his father's eyes. He grew up to be a fine young man. His father had a portrait painted of him, kept it in his bedroom. Last thing he saw at night, first thing that he saw every day was that portrait of his son. But horror of it all, the young man became ill and died. The man, the father, lived on for years. He died with no family, but an incredibly wealthy man with a huge estate. And so there was announced in the paper an estate sale, and people came from hundreds of miles, thousands were there to bid on all the riches that this man had. Finally, the auctioneer started it. He brought out the first item. The first item was the portrait of the son. 
He says, what am I bid for this portrait of the sun? Crickets. No one wanted it. No one. No one. Finally, an old man, the gardener, who had knew the little boy, known the young man, who loved him, and said, I'll give you a dollar. That's all I have. The auctioneer took the dollar, and he took the gavel, and said, this auction is over. Because in the will, the father said, he, whoever he or she is, who takes my son, gets it all. Whoever takes my son, gets it all. And my friend, listen to me. Everything is in Jesus. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. All the treasures of God, now and forever, are in Him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As our heads are bowed. I invite you, as we close... to simply come to Jesus. Pray in the name of Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for whatever needs you're in for the Spirit to give you grace. But most of all, my friend, it's just to come and call out to Jesus. And as we sing, we come just as we are, right? But as we come, the Lord doesn't leave us just as we are. He meets with us, takes us by the hand. Would you stand with me now? And as we sing, maybe you'd just like to come for prayer, kneel. Elders would be glad to. Ladies, glad to pray with you. I'd be thankful to pray with you. But our invitation's open. If you just come, I say, I need you, Jesus. I need you.